If you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you read the Bible on, uh, we will be in Revelation 21 and 22 today. We'll kind of skim through there uh, briefly. Um, so we are uh, the last week of our summer vacation series. So some of you guys are new. You have no idea what's going on. We're dwindling down towards the end of summer in the sense of the, the school semester is about to start. And so next week we're going to kick off a new sermon series. Um, but we are in the last week of our sermon series on uh, just kind of what we've been doing, just to recap, is we've been going through through the Bible, looking at just some specific places that kind of come up in the storyline of Scripture, and, and just looking at what do those places tell us about God, uh, and then from that, what does that mean for us? Right, how do we respond? How do we live differently? Uh, wh- what, is, what is our response to what these places show us about God? And so this morning, um, obviously you know we're in the book of Revelation, so we're coming down to the end here. And um, going back to this idea of a summer vacation, maybe some of you guys can relate to this. I remember um, going on vacation with my kid or with my kids. With my, I don't go on vacation with kids because that's not a real thing. It's just a trip. Okay, there's no relaxation with children. Um, so I remember going on vacation with my parents when I was younger, and uh, there was always some point during the week when it was really obvious that Dad was just ready to get back home. Right? I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. It usually happened. We were three or four days into a week-long vacation. Uh, he had a growing forehead at that point in his life. Um, he'll probably listen to this, maybe. I don't know. No offense, Dad. Um, but usually a, a sunburn of some sort had set in. He was very red at this point, and he was just ready to get back home from the beach. Okay, And so what that meant was when it was time to uh, pack up the car and go back home, um, we were going home. There was no detours. There was no scenic routes. There was no unplanned trips, you know, for shopping or tourist stuff. Like we were leaving where we were, we were and we were getting back home uh, to the little town of Bronson, Kentucky, because when vacation wasn't over until like we were back home, right? And so in a sense, our vacation series, summer vacation series, we're not, it's not going to be over until we're back home. And what I mean by that is uh, way back several weeks ago in uh, the very first week of the series, we, we kicked all this off in Genesis 1 and 2. We were just in the Garden of Eden. Right? That was the first place we looked at uh, in our sort of biblical road trip uh, summer vacation series. We started in the Garden of Eden. And even though we're not going to end in the Garden of Eden, what I, what I think you'll see, what I hope you'll see if I've done my job this morning, is that this place that we're, we're going to today, the new heavens and the new earth, is really just... Uh, what, was, what, what God began and God's blueprint in Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to see that come to fruition here in Revelation 21 and 22. Right? The, the place that God designed, the garden, um, is now going to be the place, uh, not that exact location, but, but the, the blueprint is going to be fully realized in what we call the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. And so week one, we kind of laid out this outline we talked about the Garden of Eden, and we said it's a place of God's presence, it's a place of God's provision, it's a place of God's purpose, and it's a place of uh, God's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting out of order here, a place of God's presence, provision, purpose, and, and promise. And what we're going to see in Revelation 21 and 22 is that just as God prepared the, the Garden of Eden, 
right? Jesus is preparing a place for us now. And like the garden, it's a place of God's presence, a place of God's provision, a place of God's purposes, and a place of promise. All right, so we're going to look at those this morning, starting with the first one, um, the place of presence. All right, so read with me, if you would, in Revelation 21. We'll look at the first four verses. This is John's, John writing about the, the, the vision he received. Here's what he writes. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So, so backing up to Genesis 1 and 2, right? recap, um, most of us are probably familiar with, with what happened in Genesis 1 and 2, but just in case you're not, Right? God lays out this blueprint, his design uh, for humanity and this, this world, right? creates this place, and he, he gives everything to man to enjoy, and it's this place of God's presence. Right? Of all the things that the garden was, it was most prominently a place where God dwelt with his people. Right? You've got God like, actually having conversations with his creation. You've got uh, God walking around the garden with his uh, with his creation, with the man and the woman. In fact, uh, it's only after their sin that you, you, you read about them actually trying to hide from God's presence in the garden. All right, so Genesis 1 and 2, we've got the Garden of Eden, a place of God's presence. But we know what happens in Genesis 3. Right, Adam and Eve, uh, they're in the garden. The serpent shows up. Uh, the serpent begins to make them doubt God. Right, he, he distorts God's word and, and makes Adam and Eve believe that God is not trustworthy that he is not good, that he is somehow withholding what is good from them. And so believing the serpent's lies, right? Adam and Eve take and they eat the fruit and in their one act plunge all of humanity, all of creation into sin, right? And the, the effects of sin are vast, right? You read through chapter three of Genesis and you see all these different curses that are being pronounced on on the man and the woman and the serpent and creation, right? Everything is cursed because of sin's entrance into the world. And so the consequences are many. But this, the most significant consequence in Genesis 3 is that all of a sudden God is going to, man is going to be separated from God. Right? You get to the end of chapter 3 and after God makes all his, his pronouncements and how uh, sin is going to have all these different consequences, then God drives man out of the garden so that man no longer lives in close, physical, uninterrupted presence with God. Right? And even though that's what happens, what we still see throughout, like from Genesis 4, I guess, all the way to Revelation, all throughout the storyline of Scripture, is you've got God providing these constant reminders that his ultimate plan and his ultimate purpose is to dwell with his creation. So just to hit some highlights, you see this in the tabernacle. Okay, the tabernacle was 
this structure, if you read through Exodus, that, uh, that, that after God delivers his people Israel out of slavery to the Egyptians, um, he promises to be with them and go with them. And he does that. The tabernacle is this sort of uh, temporary nomadic structure that they were to build and they were to take with them as they traveled in the wilderness. And it was a place where God's presence dwelled among his people. Right? There's very specific instructions. This one place inside the tabernacle is where God's presence dwelled among his people. And then you fast forward and you get to the temple in Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem was kind of the central place of worship. More on that in a minute. And so uh, it, it, Israel had settled. This was their place. And so they build this, right, this huge temple with all the, right, the, the majesty and the ornate and, and all these things for God's presence because the temple was where God's presence dwelled among his people. It's where they would go and they would worship and there was sacrifices and there was all these things because this is where God's presence dwelled among his people. And then you fast forward again and you see this most notably in the person of Jesus. Right? Isaiah prophesies about Jesus and calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God dwelling among his people. Right? Or, or John, who, who wrote Revelation uh, in, in the first chapter of his gospel, John 1.14, writes that, that the word became flesh, the word being Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. God wrapped himself in flesh in the person of Jesus and dwelt among us. Or, or Paul says in Colossians that he's the image of the invisible God. You got God constantly reminding his people that his ultimate plan and ultimate desire is to dwell among his people. All right, and then Jesus is crucified and buried and resurrected and he ascends to heaven. And yet still, even in this moment, this morning, like God is reminding us that he's, his ultimate desire is to dwell among his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. Because right, we, we believe this morning that for all who have trusted in Jesus, right, trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, that he has given us the Holy Spirit. The actual Spirit of God resides in His people like, like now, in this moment. Sometimes that kind of weirds us out a little bit, but like, this is a good thing, right? Because God is constantly reminding us that His ultimate plan is to dwell among His people. Right? And so what we see here in Revelation 21 is, is the, God's blueprint. And these, there's, no more, there's no need for reminders or shadows or... Because in the new heavens and the new earth, God will once again dwell among his people. And it won't be just a shadow. It won't be just a hint. It will be God in, like physically present with his people. Right? That's what John writes in verse, verse 2, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Right? Genesis 1 and 2 is the blueprint. God walking, interacting with his creation. And then Revelation 21, 22, the new heavens and new earth is God's plan consummated. God dwelling with his people for all of eternity. And in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. That's what we read about in, in the Psalms. There's no, there's no death, there's no mourning, there's no tears, 
Right? There's only fullness of joy in God's presence. And, and that's what the new heavens and the new earth is, a place of God's presence. All right, but it's also a place of his provision. So look at verse 5. It says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Circle that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So I said this in, in week one. We talked about some of, this, some of these same ideas. And, and one of the things that I said, I think I said, I meant to say if I didn't say it, I'm going to say it now, is that in Christ, in the death, the resurrection of Jesus, for all who trust and believe in that, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. All right, there's no more penalty to be paid for those of us who have trusted in Jesus because we believe that Jesus paid that penalty in full. All right, so there's no more penalty. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, but we are still being saved. All right, we're still being saved from the power and presence of sin in our lives. All right, so here's what I mean by that. There's no more penalty. There's no more punishment for you if you've trusted in Jesus. But also, what I know is just because you've trusted in Jesus doesn't mean that you are all of a sudden incapable of sinning, right? Sin still has some power in your life, right? As long as we're walking uh, on this earth, we're going to wrestle with fleshly desires, whether that's anger or bitterness or lust or greed or jealousy. I mean, we go on and on and on, right? We've been saved from the penalty, but we're still being saved from the, the power of sin in our lives, but what he says here, I love in verse 6, this is, this is God speaking, right? speaking to John. And he said to me, it is done. Which means that, that in the new heavens and in the new earth, right, we will finally experience victory over sin. Right, so God says, it is done. It's done. There's no more struggling with sin. There's no more suffering from the effects of other people's sin in your life. Right? There's no more, uh, even the effects of sin on creation and the things like, like we get new bodies. Doesn't that sound awesome? Like I've been dealing with a bum shoulder for like two weeks and I'm pretty sure I hurt myself in my sleep. I don't have to worry about that in the new creation. Right? Any like remnants of sin are, are gone. So while on this earth we, we're safe from the penalty, but we're still wrestling with the presence and power of sin in our lives, in the new heavens and the new earth, what God provides for us is final victory over sin. Right? There's, there's no more effects of sin. We're saved fully and finally forever. And it's not because of anything awesome in us. Right? It's not because we get to this moment where we're like, I've achieved a certain level of Christianity. Right, it's because God has provided for us. This new heaven and new earth is a place that, that he, he is preparing for us. He's providing the place 
right? And then we, we look back to Jesus and, and we see that God has already provided the way to this new place. Right? The text says that, that God looks at us as a father looks at a son, right? He says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son, right? God provides for his people in the new heavens and the new earth. He provides final victory over sin and he just lays it out and invites us to it. I can't help but think of the story of the prodigal son here. And not, actually not even the prodigal son, but the older brother. Who, If you look at the context of the story, he might be the whole point of the story. But the older brother, if you're not familiar with the story in Luke 15, right, there's a, a celebration going on for the younger brother because he was off and rebellious and lost. And then he comes back, but the older brother's out in the field. And the older brother, the, the father comes to, to try to invite the older brother into the party. And, and the older brother's like, look at all that I've done. Right? I've, I've served you all this time. I've done everything right. I've obeyed perfectly. I've, I've done everything that I was supposed to do. And you never celebrated for me. And the father looks at the son and he says, Hey, you're my son. All that you need, I'm giving to you. All that's mine is yours. Right? I have provided it to you because you're my son. And then he just invites them to come and celebrate. This is what we've been given. The new heavens and the new earth. God has provided all that is needed. And he looks at his children and he says, come, let's celebrate. Right? He's, he's provided it for us. Listen, the, the new heavens and the new earth is not a potluck. Right? You don't have to bring anything. You've just been invited to come and enjoy. And, and that's only through Christ that you come. We'll talk about that again more in just a minute, all right? So the, the new heavens and the new earth, a place of God's presence, a place of, uh, of God's provision. Third thing is it's a place of God's purposes, all right? So I'm not going to read all this, but if you, you go down to the next set of verses, kind of verses 9 through 21, uh, what you read about is John sort of giving us this image of uh, this new city, right? The new Jerusalem coming down, and he gives all the descriptions and the jewels and measurements, and it's really specific, okay? Uh, but it's called the New Jerusalem. And the reason that's significant is because the city Jerusalem plays this really important role in kind of the story of God's people. Uh, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, but Jerusalem is the place where God's people went to worship, right? It was the central uh, place of worship for God's people when you read through uh, much of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Jerusalem was the place of worship for God's people. So look with me the last um, few verses. We're going to start in verse 22 of chapter 21, and we're going to read into the next chapter. Listen to what John writes about this new city. He says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." 
but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. His servants will worship. So we got this new city, this new Jerusalem, but John says there's no temple in it. Right? There's no place for God's people to go and, and worship him. There's no temple in the new Jerusalem. You know why? Because God's going to be there. Right? We don't have to go. There's, like, there's no structure anymore that's going to separate God from his people. This is the first point, God's presence. There's no, right, there's no veil. There's, there's nothing that separates us from God. He will be there in all his glory and splendor and, and words that I don't even know to use to explain him. I don't think those words even exist. And he's there to be worshipped by his people. That's our purpose in the new heavens and the new earth. It's to worship God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. Now, I I realize that that we kind of, so we're all over the spectrum here. Some of us hear that and we're like, I'm just going to worship forever? Like, I'm just going to sing forever? I don't even like to sing now. Right? And I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta do that like for all eternity? Like for some of you that sounds miserable. And what I would just say is if your idea of, of worship is just singing, then your idea of worship is too narrow. Right? Because singing is a vital part of worship. It's commanded through scriptures. It is a part of worship. But man, worship is so much more encompassing than just this idea of singing. So yes, I think we're going to do a lot of singing in the new heavens and the new earth. I think Revelation would tell us that. We're going to sing a lot. Okay? And those of us that have terrible voices, maybe our voices even get better in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know. But either way, we're going to sing. But that's not the only thing we're going to do. Right? Because again, worship is far more than just singing. Right? Even if you just read through Revelation, you see we're going to feast. Right? All the Baptists are happy. Right? We're going to eat well for eternity. Right? We're going to celebrate for eternity. We're going to work. Some of you guys are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought there was no pain, no suffering. Just remind you, work was a part of God's creation before the fall. It only became like toil and uh, labor after the fact. All right? Work is part of God's good purpose for his creation. So we're going to feast. We're going to sing. We're going to work. We're going to celebrate. Right? We'll probably do things that I don't even know, right? No eye has seen, no ears heard what, what God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know what the new heavens and new earth are going to be like in all their totality. But I do know the Bible tells us that in God's presence, there will be right, like fullness of joy. I feel like I've said that a million times over the last few weeks. Fullness of joy in his presence. So like the most, uh, jo- like the thing you've, you've enjoyed most in this life, I don't know what that is for you, right? We're all over the place. The one thing that brings you the most joy 
will pale in comparison to the joy that you'll experience in the new heavens and the new earth as you live out God's purpose to worship him forever. Right? The Bible says there'll be pleasures forevermore. Right? So the thing that brings you the most pleasure here on this earth, whatever that is, will pale in comparison to what awaits you in the new heaven and the new earth. And you get to enjoy all of that forever. And all of that is an act of worship. Singing, feasting, celebrating, enjoying for all eternity. That's what awaits God's people. It's a place of His presence, a place of His provision, a place of His purposes. And here's the last one. A place of promise. All right, so if you, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. I think it's on the screens. This is uh, going back to John's gospel. He, these are Jesus' words in John 14. Speaking with his disciples and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So we've got Jesus uh, prior to his death and resurrection making this promise to his followers that I am going to prepare a place for you and then I will come again and I will bring you to where I am so that you can be there with me. This is the promise. Right, we've got a promise of, of a place, and then we've got a promise of a return. Right? And we put that up against Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Right? And, and on three different times, Jesus like doubles down on this promise. Right? So John 14 is, hey, I promise I'm going to prepare a place. I promise I'm coming back to bring you to myself. And then three different times, right? verses 7, uh, 12, and 20. Jesus, my Bible, it's in, it's in red print. It means it's Jesus' words. Verse 7 of chapter 22. He says, And behold, I am coming again soon. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. In verse 20, it's like he, he says it one more time just to make sure you get the point. Surely, I am coming soon. So Jesus makes a promise, and then at the end of the book, you got Jesus doubling down, saying, hey, remember what I said way back in John 14? I meant it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a place you've just read about in, in the last couple chapters. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I promise I'm coming to bring you again to myself. Because one day Jesus will make good on his promise. I don't know when that'll be, I don't think any of us know when that'll be, despite what some bi biblical mathematicians and stuff want you to believe. I, no man knows the day or the time or the hour when, when Jesus will split the skies wide open and return. But if we believe the Bible, and I would say we have very good reason to believe the Bible this morning, believe the Bible, then we believe that Jesus one day is going to make good on his promise to return. And he's going to bring us to this place that we've just like scratched the surface of this morning. By the way, do you know how impossible it is to try and like explain our eternal home in a 30-minute sermon? 
Like I've got that's eternity to try and explain in, in 30 to 35 minutes. Impossible. So I'm like, we, we just like kind of hinted at it this morning. You got like Cliff Notes version, right? One day Jesus is going to come and he's going to bring his people to this place that he's promised us. All right, we're going we're gonna to realize his promise, right? Promise fulfilled in the place and in his return. Because just as Genesis 1 and 2, way back at the beginning, God, God hinted that one day he would, he would send uh, an offspring of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and defeat sin forever. What we read here in, in the last chapter of the Bible is this promise that he is coming again. He will bring us to himself. That where he is, we may be there also. In God's presence. Right? Experiencing the goodness of all that he's going to provide, provide for all of eternity. Living out our purpose to worship him forever. Right? And, and, and living in the good news of his promises fulfilled. This is what awaits his people. So here's how I want to end this, uh, th- this morning, right? Kind of wind this thing down. Uh, is we're going to come up, like Zach said, and we're going to sing kind of the last uh, kind of verse, chorus of, of that song that we introduced before, Hymn of Heaven. And, and this last verse is just singing about this place where we will one day be. All right, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, let's just say it this way. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. I just want you to be encouraged. Right, like sometimes I end the sermon, I try to give you things to take with you this week and go and do and pray about. This morning, if you're here and you're a believer, the application for you is just be encouraged. Because the new heavens and the new earth is a place promised for you. It's a place of God's presence. It's a place of his provision. It's a place of his purposes, right? And it's a place where we will live and enjoy him forever. No pain no suffering, no tears, no cancer, no pandemics, no strained relationships, like all that stuff, gone. For all of eternity. But then if you're here and you're not a Christian, and maybe you're just not sure, you've got questions, you've got concerns, you've got doubts. I try to say it every week. I'm glad you're here. All right? But I... I want you to see this as an invitation for you. Right? Because, listen, there, there's none of us in here that, that are Christians that, would, that like we're some sort of, sort of elite class of people. Right? We don't attain some level of goodness or moral perfection and then God loves us enough to, to make us his children. No. Right? God sent his only son to die for us so that when we believe and trust in him, we can become God's children, and that's available to you this morning if you've never done that. So listen to this invitation. This is verse 17. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The invitation to you this morning, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, is just to come. Don't wait until you've achieved some like perceived level of, of superiority 
come. Right? This is the, the Spirit says, come. Right? That, that prompting in your gut to respond is the Spirit saying, come. Right? It says, the bride says, come. That's the, the church. We're here this morning as, as the church inviting you. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, we would just say, come. We would love to tell you about what it means to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Right? I would love to have that conversation with you, whether it's here in just a moment as we sing or it's sometime after the service is over. Right, we would want nothing more than for you to come and respond to this invitation. Because we would love nothing more than for you. If you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, we would love for nothing more than you to join us in anxiously awaiting this place that Jesus is preparing for us, that he has promised for us, and that he has promised to come again and bring us to so would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you this morning and we are grateful for your word, grateful for the promises of your word, uh, and grateful for this place that you have promised for all who have trusted in Jesus. So Father, for those of us this morning that, um, or that, are, that are believers, at some point in our lives, we've put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. We've confessed Jesus as Lord of our lives. I just pray that we'd be encouraged here this morning. Lord, I pray that we'd be reminded and, and know, like, like really know, not just kind of like out in some sort of ethereal uh, way of knowing, but like we would feel in our guts and know that you have prepared a place for us that awaits us. And I pray that we'd be encouraged by that. Lord, to know that, that all the brokenness and decay and the suffering of this world will one day be gone, abolished because of your final victory over sin and all of its effects. May we be encouraged by that this morning. And then if there's one here this morning that's never put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and, and for the hope of eternal life, I pray that, that they would come that they would respond to the invitation this morning that's laid out so clearly in your word that they would just come. They would deny themselves and trust in Jesus. So give them boldness to step forward, boldness to, to engage in a conversation or to ask a question. Lord, I pray that you might save this morning. So Lord, would you meet with us here, help us respond as you would have us to respond Lord, be honored as we continue to sing about this place that you've prepared for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.